Welcome to The Lex Factor, a lawfully good podcast where we'll brief you on the business of law so you can build a better practice and capture more billable hours. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Lex Factor. It's your favorite host, Lauren, here. What does that make me, then? You're supposed to introduce Oh, my favorite co-host? Just go with it. I'm the co-host. So you're the favorite host? So I'm the favorite (laughs) co-host. So today we are back with Tom Boster. (laughs) No, introduce yourself. Go ahead. And your co-host, Brad Pobble. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I even got a clap from the guest. Did you hear that? I did. There was an extra clap in the room. It was a little sad, but I heard it. It was good. I liked it. It made me feel good. Oh. All right, guys. Speaking of guests, we're back again here with CFO and COO from here at Lexicon, Tom Boster. Welcome back, Tom. Yeah, thanks. Great to be back again. I'm really surprised I got invited back. You were a great host. Our great host. (laughs) A great guest last time. Would you like to know why? I was wondering why if I get asked back or not. Right? Yeah, of course. Tell us. Well, I was afraid that I was too funny. And Brad likes to fancy himself as the funny one on the po- <laughs> podcast. And I was afraid that he was going to feel overshadowed by yeah. the entertaining value I brought to the podcast. Yeah. It is true. Yeah. yeah. It is but true. Hey, I did feel that. You guys that. need to be more confident. Like, I think Tom, proud though, of yourself. Tom always overshadows me because he's like he's eight taller. foot. Yes. And I'm, yes. I'm like five foot. Tom, I know it's been a while since you've been on the show. Why don't you give everybody a little bit about your background again? You know, what brought you to Lexicon, kind of what you've done in your career, personally, what you like to do in your free time, because I tried to get that out of you and you wouldn't tell me. So now you're obligated. Yeah, I'll give you the uh, the company line. Okay, and then, great. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll stay out of my personal life again today. So good. We He said before he came in that we're not supposed to ask about that. He's going to walk off the set. Oh. Must Come on, you, you have stipulations here. Yeah. <laughs> he I'm does play go, with cars. I, we found that out. I'm going back to the green room here in a second. <laughs> There's no snacks in there. so you're I, I, I noticed that all my requests and demands have been met for the green room. So all of was, the red M&Ms yes. only. Yes. Okay. So I think, Tom, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Yeah, my name is Tom Boster, and uh, I've, I originally started out my career in healthcare and then converted into the into the law field. Uh, I was a chief administrative officer for, for a law firm before I came and uh, joined Lexicon. Which really it it really intrigued me the ability to come in and uh, work with multiple law firms and to uh, to see what kind of solutions uh, we could build in order to help law firms like software. All right, Tom. So you have a pretty pretty amazing experience, and I think it's really cool. You know, healthcare. We talked last time you were here about how much you learned there and how much of it actually is relatable in the legal industry. You worked in a firm itself, um, so you got to see like the real everyday tickings, how it works. You know, what kind of struggles there were. So I was thinking today we could really dig into just efficiencies overall. Um, I know in the roles you've been in, there's probably just so much that you've seen that can you know maybe common patterns of of where. For struggle and how you can overcome those patterns. Yeah, Lauren. I mean, it's interesting because I see the beginning point of efficiencies in a law firm and, and revenue optimization really, really starting all the way back to when we, you sign up a client. Mm-hmm. Honestly, from business to business, that's that's not an odd phenomenon, is it? So overall, you know, your relationship starts, starts with an agreement. Um, obviously, we have ethics ethics rules in, in law that kind of stipulates and spells out what needs to go mm-hmm. in those agreements and you know, those fee agreements. And, you know, it, it is surprising as you as you speak to law firms and as you look at uh, different law firms' fee agreements, just how often, believe it or not, that they don't really hit all the core items that, that, that they need to hit. And so that's really where I, I like to start off in a, in a conversation. If I was to go in and, and help out a brand new law firm is really say, hey, 
let's let's take a look at you know what types of law are you practicing, and let's talk about your fee agreements. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important step. You know, I've heard several times that they don't teach business in yeah. in law school, and you know, accounting and you know that aspect of it from the first signing the fee agreements is you know something that is going to be a part of every day of your life, and I think you know it just is something that people are going to struggle with. Of course, they get used to a way of doing things and bad habits form. Mm-hmm. Um, what is one way, Tom, that people can really take that step back and say, hey, this is where I need to focus first in the fee agreements. Uh, where should they focus specifically in that area? Is it is it just across the board? Is it, where should they focus? One of the big areas that, that I've seen is that overall, you know, the even though we have the, you know the, the ethics rules and the, and the ABA model rule 1.5. Mm-hmm. Um, very often, one of the big pitfalls is that fee agreements aren't explicit enough as to what the fees are and to what your expected payment terms are uh, in order to pay to remit those fees uh, to the to the law firm. So often it, it causes client confusion and and it does impair the clients the client experience, and it can really you know unfortunately cause conflict down the road between a client and an attorney. How much of it do you think it is? Um, that the attorney doesn't quite understand as well as the client? Is it in both uh, parties or is it usually just like you were mentioning, it's really not spelled out well enough for the client? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's one of those situations to where, you know, you or I to go to go start a project together. You know, we, we might come in with some preconceived notions as to which one of us is going to do what, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think that there's there's a little bit of that relationship building that, that starts with with a client, uh, whether it be a corporate client or an, or a consumer or an individual with with their attorney. I think sometimes they don't understand what to expect out of their attorney and what mm-hmm. exactly this, their attorney is going to do for them, mm-hmm. and really what's going to be expected of them from from the attorney. And that's why that fee agreement really provides that that great foundation to to launch that relationship. So the more detailed it can be, spell it out for them. It really helps to oh, to yeah. really guide. Uh, for the rest of your uh, life with that particular attorney. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's communication in general. You know, you have a potential client come in and just remember, be as clear as you possibly can because, you know, this process that you're going through with this potential client could be standard for you. You do it every day. You do it the same with every client. But if they have some sort of idea in their head about how this is going to go and you guys don't communicate to the actual process or the fee agreement, you know, maybe you are delivering the correct way or how you always deliver. But if they saw this happening differently in their heads, like mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier, Tom, you know, it, it opens opens up the, the opportunity for bar complaints. Maybe you're not going to get paid quickly. Maybe you're not going to get paid at all. And so it, it really trickles down to that first interaction and just setting the stage and making sure they're clear, you know, well, and you're clear on their yeah. expectations well. you know, as that's, well. that's going to be one of the number one questions is really how does this work? Yeah. You know, how, how do I pay you? Well, yeah. When do I pay you? How much do I pay you? Yeah. Besides, hey, I'm having this issue. Exactly. So it, it, I think it definitely helps to build that relationship. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, the, the other thing is, is that, you know, believe it or not, um, sometimes, you know, fee agreements get sent to clients and, you know, the lawyer signs them and firms don't have the client's 
sign them themselves and actually execute mm. and, and fully uh, fully bind the, the fee agreement. Mm-hmm. So believe it or not, you know, you, we think, oh gosh, you know, That's these are right. lawyers, you yeah. know, that, you know, the basis of, of, of law, you know, it's contract, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you get busy, you know, you have all these demands on you as an attorney. Mm-hmm. Attorneys are human, believe it or not. And, uh, you know, it's one of the things that can slip through the cracks. Yeah, I could definitely see that. That's something that would just be a miss oh, yeah. for them that's out there. Yeah. And the other thing is, is that really it's not just about what what your fees are and, you know, what you're going to charge them or how you're going to charge them. But it's, but it's also really having a clearly defined fee agreement helps spell out uh, any retainers and how that retainer should be handled uh, within your firm and mm-hmm. within, that, uh, within that matter. And, you know, how that is handled – Collection of money for a retainer is handled for different types of services can vary from state to state too. So if you're in a border state, for instance, you may be operating in one state to where to where those fees are considered to be earned, and you need to immediately you know take those out of the trust and, and get them into your phone firm's operating account mm-hmm. so you're not commingling the mm-hmm. the funds. And in another, uh, that that exact same arrangement may actually be oh that money's it's good you're going to hold that on behalf of the client until you can complete a material amount of the work. So. Really, fee agreements shouldn't just spell out, you know, hey, I'm, it's a fixed fee or here's how much I'm going to charge you per hour. Mm-hmm. But we should also, you know, be sure that we contemplate any retainers that, that are involved as well. Yeah. So if, if I'm, you know, I'm either new, just starting my own practice or joining a practice, obviously there's, you know, processes in place for that. But I really want to learn more. How do I learn more about this? How do I become more educated? Where, where do you think they should reach out to or go to to understand this a little bit better? Overall, you know, I, I spoke a little bit before about ABA model, model rule 1.5. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's obviously, you know, from an ethics standpoint, someplace for us to start, uh, you know, and it, and it will define for us, you know, what the what some of the key fundamentals that, that need to be in a fee agreement. But, you know, it can get a little bit more complex than that. And contacting some, you know, a services company like Lexicon, mm-hmm. where we'd be glad to look at and help you determine how your fee agreements uh, should be structured. And also for, for which different types of law should you actually have different fee agreements. And mm-hmm. that's that's another place where I see is really pretty common to where trying to have a one-size-fits-all fee agreement if you're doing uh, a couple different types types of law uh, really can cause a firm a lot of problems down down the road. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Have yeah. a different per practice yeah. area. And that's a, actually a really good segue. It's segue, excuse me. It's like you were reading my brain because I was curious, you know, that that fee arrangement, that's really just the beginning. But backing up, how do you get to a point? Like, how do you understand, like Brad mentioned earlier, he's starting his own firm. Besides looking at, at the market, at your competitors, how do you really understand how you need to be priced? You know, what those fees are, what what goes into establishing those and giving you a really good read on what you should be charging your clients? Sure. I mean, obviously, you know, a market study can always be a, extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there is some data that, uh, you know, that we can help provide to law firms. And there's, and there's data sources that law firms can actually, you know, purchase and see. Uh, you know, surveys that they could, they can purchase from from some a few different agencies, and we can guide people through that as well. Mm-hmm. But you know, once you started, it's it's not just about where do I set my hourly rate or my price to start with. It's really over time monitoring that and saying, look, does this price work for me as a law firm? Mm-hmm. Um, am I making money? 
Um, you know, and sometimes that can be a, a bit more difficult to see uh, on an immediate basis than, than what people think, especially when their business is growing mm-hmm. and they have more and more clients coming in, into the door. So it really makes time tracking and utilize, utilization of technology and time tracking really, really important. Mm-hmm. And people really generally don't equivalate those two things together. Like they, they equivalent tracking their time with billing people, but they never think about tracking their time from – Using that time tracking mm-hmm. to look at my costs and allocate my costs and and, and actually set pricing. That's a and good point. Yeah, it's just one of those things that can be very very helpful, uh, and you know, and again that we can we can help with. Yeah, and I remember you talked about that a couple of weeks ago. You know, we were working with one of our uh, clients who's in estate planning, and you know, you have a, a fixed fee for for putting together a will, but the amount of time that it was taking them to put together that will, based on you know the resources that they had in house, it just it didn't make sense. You know, they weren't charging enough to make up for that actual manpower that was needed to put that together. You know, even though it's a pretty streamlined process, but it's a small firm, and they were they were looking to grow, and they were still looking for efficiency. And just evaluating that, you know, not everything that you do for that process is necessarily billable, but the amount of, you know, non-billable time time that they were taking to work on that document just didn't net out at the end, you know? Right. And that's one thing Tom has always said to me, too, is from a time (laughs) perspective, you have, you've said it multiple times, from a time perspective, you track all time. You track not just your billable, but your non-billable time as well, just to get that that picture of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it, and it can also let's just say that you you have you know set a rate and it can help you and you say hey this is taking too much of my time perhaps this fixed fee should be a, a little bit higher mm-hmm. and you really have a couple choices if the if the market won't substantiate a, a higher fee or you can't get your clients to to accept it then you can use utilize that data to think about okay how else can I perform this same level of service and lower my costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how can, how can I spread my expertise, uh, you know, more fully over? And so it, it may actually help you identify the need of bringing on either a lower cost associate mm-hmm. to where you can actually, you know, hopefully you're paying them a bit less than than what you're taking home every year or or really kind of evaluate whether or not a paralegal might make sense for your right. firm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, too, it gives you the ammo that you need should there ever be a complaint or anybody, you know, they complain about the pricing or, you know, God forbid, there's some sort of bar complaint where you can go back and say, hey, it truly took this amount of time. This is line by line what went into doing this service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that is just the most common thing is that, most firms don't track time against fixed fee matters. And I, I think it's because time tracking is seen as being obtrusive. It's seen as a as a waste of my time or or maybe just a little too too much of my time to where, hey, I'd rather be billing and working on a file than tracking time. But what people don't realize are are really two things. One is that utilize technology, time tracking is much easier today than it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, utilizing a system that has timers, uh, systems that have Lexicon software actually has multiple timers built into it that can really give you uh, that assistance in in tracking your time. The other th- issue is is that most people don't realize, and we all, you know, I know, um, you know, I'm not going to state my age because that is confidential, especially from it's, you two. The internet um, tells us everything. We can find it. But <laughs> I. I have noticed that that over time, and, and we're all like this, no matter how young or old we are, how experienced or inexperienced we are, we all overestimate how well we retain, how long it took us to do something over mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I remember being 
being in my younger years and, you know, doing a bit of billing myself. And, you know, I never would write something down yeah, and think that I captured everything. And now as I, as I go through, now I'm making lists, utilizing task managers. And I can tell you that the accuracy of tracking for what I do is much improved over, you know, 24, 25 year old Tom. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, nobody really can retain every aspect of their time. And when oh, you have yeah. that tracker going on, you know, you get much more efficient information. It's true with everything, even like cell phones they have now. Mm-hmm. You know, how long are you spending on each of the apps? And everybody's shocked when you look and go, I've spent seven hours on I know, my Sunday here. report on right. my screen time, I'm like, ooh, how is that even possible? I right. spent that many hours. But it's especially true if you're doing something that you don't love or something that's super tedious. You know, you're like, God, I was miserable. It took so much time out of my day to do that. And then if you actually look back after tracking it, you're like, it was only a couple minutes, really? It seemed like an hour, you know? <laughs> right. And so, and I think we've talked about this before, but you learn, you know, you you over track time. You say, hey, this project took uh, way longer than it did. Then you're setting yourself up for issues. You know, it could be with the client. It could be with, you know, bar association, whatever. Um, or if you're under tracking time, you're losing out on revenue, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there, there's that fine line. Of course, nobody is perfect, but you go too far in either direction and there's some pretty big uh, consequences. Yeah. There's been a lot of studies out there actually that says that either overbilling or underbilling the average error rate is 20%. I'm not talking about how much time you lose by waiting to track time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and trying to do it retrospectively and, and more of, rather than more of a real-time situation. It's just, you know, 20% is a, you know, is a large, large error rate. And you know, there's not any quality systems out there that would tell you that that's, that's really unacceptable, yeah. right? Yeah. But yet, you know, I mean, that's the reality. And I just think we all, no matter, I mean, you know, obviously – Attorneys are very highly intelligent individuals, but it's just human. As humans, mm-hmm. we just aren't as good as machines at at tracking how long it takes us to do right. something. Yeah, right. And, and you know, if you actually think about twenty percent, you're like, oh, it seems like a lot. It seems like a little. It could kind of go either way. But if you think about how much money you're actually bringing in at your firm a year, and take twenty percent of that, or you know, twenty percent of the hours that you're currently billing, and what that nets out to, look at it over a year. You're like, oh my god, that's a car. You know right. what I mean? Or more. Yeah, yeah. or more. <laughs> yeah. Depends on how Let's how much money more. you make. Yeah. Could be a Yaris or it could be a Tesla. You know? Yeah, hey, it's all you, you know. <laughs> so, what are some other uh, bad practices that you've seen, Tom? Just you know, in your experience, even beyond what we're talking about here, just in accounting in in a firms uh, that you've seen. Yeah, you know, over overall, you know, we, we we talk about time tracking, and we talk about you know that the longer you go before you actually try to track that time. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's, that is honestly one, one, one of the largest mm-hmm. number one areas that you see is that, you know, you, you know, if you, if you wait a couple hours, you know, some studies suggest that you, you lose 10%, you wait a week, some studies that you may, you may actually lose up to 50% oh my God. of that time. So you just think about how material that is. And we're, we're talking about, you know, Yaris's versus Tesla's and model three versus model S's yeah. or yeah. model, you know, it, it, it really does, you know, add up largely over time. And then then the other thing I think the one of the just large mistakes that that people make is really overestimating how much they're collecting of what they bill mm-hmm. to their clients. Mm-hmm. And so if you kind of think about this, if I'm billing more than I billed last year, right? I can see, you know, if, if I'm collecting any of my money, I I will start to see my my cash coming in the door 
rise over time. Mm-hmm. But I actually could be while I'm growing, seeing more cash come in the door and actually be driving myself into a less profitable situation because when I isolate off that uh, that time or, or back to individual clients, individual invoices, uh, I actually see that I'm not collecting nearly the percentage that yeah. – uh, you know, I dealt with a very, very large client, you know, with with honestly honest offices in multiple states who, because of that phenomena, their high growth client, thought that they collected ninety-five percent of of their their bills from their clients. And it was just because of the cash flow. You know, when you're billing in October, mm-hmm. November, December, a lot of times you don't receive that cash until January or February or March. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they're seeing all this cash come in and they're, they're only looking at it in comparison to what I, what I built this year and looking at the cash that came in. And they're not considering like, oh, well, some of that's unpaid bills from last year. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I really wanted to figure out what my collection rate is or, or what I would call from a, you know, from a more of an accounting standpoint, operation standpoint, what our realization, I really need to look and say, all right, what did I bill in a very, very specific time period for a client Versus what I, what did I collect? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, we everybody, you know, when you when you take that measurement, you will see obviously if you keep collecting on those clients long after you're done billing, um, hopefully not too long, right? But, but it does happen that you know your realization will go up. But if you track it on a yearly basis and a quarterly basis, it's just good to know so that you can you can write the ship a, along the way. You can not lend your clients money, mm-hmm. and so really, I think that's the you if you overstate your cash collections from your clients, you'll be overstating your profitability. And that's a very, very, name the business, that wouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. You just can't look at that in number. And if you really dig in and, you know, find a software, find some efficiencies that can help you track everything and, and take on some easier, better practices like tracking time in real time, you know, you can really dive in and say, yeah, I am bringing in more money, but you know what? Now that I look a little closer, I'm still not collecting enough from each client that I should be. You know, there's still a lot that I'm having to write off. And, you know, even though I'm making more money, if I fix that one little thing, I could be making so much more. Let me look at these other areas now and see where else I can I can throw some improvements in. From a legal industry, I was looking at let's let's keep it basic, a budgeting perspective, Tom. Across different firms, do you think they really dive in and really do that full fledged accounting where they're looking at all of those different factors coming in, you know, CapEx, OpEx, all those different things? Do they really dive into that, or would you say they're more of you know, more simplistic accounting, more, you know, just like making the mistakes that you said, where do you think people usually land? Yeah, you know, I think it varies on based on firm size and firm firm complexity and sometimes how long the firm's been in business. But, but overall, I think what COVID did was it really showed people how important it was to really be looking at the different elements of the different types of financial mm-hmm. statements mm-hmm. that you have in accounting. Attorneys have some I would say bad habits. They would say smart habits. Uh, you know that this is where the accountants and mm-hmm. the then the lawyers will start going back and forth. But <laughs> it's really about how much cash do you leave in your business. From a liability standpoint, I I get it. You know, I want to as I earn cash, I want to get it back out. I want to redeploy right. it. You know, I want to use it in my life. I want to use it to grow my business. Um, but really, what COVID did was really pointed out to a lot of people who really probably didn't have a balance sheet. They probably didn't have a formal budget. And now all of a sudden you're looking at something very scary of not knowing what your cash flow is going to be. Do I have enough money to to, to pay my bills? So wake up pretty home. good yep. size firms actually, you know, wondering whether or not they're going to uh, 
to have have the cash flow. You know, they have to lay off their employees. And, you know, yeah, really facts. scary stuff. And so, although accountants, we always aren't known for having the uh, the funnest job in the world or the, or the best personalities, right? <laughs> Ha. Um, no comment. Too yes. easy, right? See, no, just that, kidding. that was that softball I lobbed right <laughs> over there to Lauren's. Like, You're my favorite CFO. Yeah, there you go. If you if you didn't know, it is Ray's increased time at at, at Lexicon. So I, I I did. You are. Oh wow. You look stunning today. Did you did you have some work done? You look great. I I, I did expect. I, I don't very think f- Tom needs work done. I no, think he he's doesn't. perfect just the way he, he is. Oh. Let's just say I expected a friendly reception today. Right? <laughs> it's in the green room. Right. But, but in all serious, like it, it, it really does make you look and say it, it is important to have some what you may see as mundane, but mm-hmm. to have a formal written plan and a written budget and to have a full set of financial statements. Uh, you know, income statement, we all get that, right? Mm-hmm. How much money am I making? You know, that's that's important to everyone. And I think that's a concept everyone gets. But you know, really looking at that statement of cash flows and that balance sheet, right. um, you know, things that you probably need outside help for, you know, they're, they're really important to the health of your business. Mm-hmm. And I think COVID just really exploited that. I think so too. Yeah. And especially during COVID, you know, some of those expenses uh, went away because they cut immediately in fear of what mm-hmm. was going on, which then also made things maybe even a little bit more simplistic to look at. But then also, you know, you started to wonder without those metrics, without all that information, am I going to make it? Yeah. And you don't want to be in a spot where you're thinking about cuts or, you know, even worrying about your future in the organization. So Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And, you know, we've talked about COVID so much and obviously there's so many bad things that have come of it. But, you know, we've been forced to find ways to be smart with our operations and our money. And, and like Tom said, it has brought to light a lot of uh, better best practices. You know what I mean? people taking in better operational, uh, increasing efficiencies, things like that. And so it's almost like if you haven't found a way to not necessarily come out ahead, but to increase those efficiencies internally, you're probably doing something really wrong. You know what I mean? Because we were all forced at this point in time to find those efficiencies. You know, one thing that a lot of firms don't think about and didn't think about before COVID that I think some will be a bit more receptive now, mm-hmm. and that is really outsourcing. Yeah. So if, if you think about it, you know, if if you're doing something in your firm that it really takes you hiring a full-time person just so you ha- can have that knowledge and that bandwidth for someone to to, to process your bills for you or, mm-hmm. or to answer your phone, uh, wouldn't you be a lot better off financially if instead of paying for a whole person that you're able to pay for just a fractional person through outsourcing. And so that is the magic of outsourcing, whether or not it be, you know, having a backup Mm -hmm. when your receptionist goes on vacation or your paralegal goes on on vacation or or whether it's just, you know, do I need a full-time billing person in in my office? You know, outsourcing really does solve a lot of of those problems and take a, a big fixed cost and turn it into a variable cost that's only going to scale based upon, mm-hmm. uh, you know, my revenue as my You're as broke. my business grows. Yeah, right. How many calls? I you're think the in? other factor in that too is with COVID. You know, a lot of remote work that instantly translates, I believe, in people's mind that I can do this remotely, which then lends itself to outsourcing as well. If I can have somebody at home doing this, why can't I pay a company to do this over oh, yeah. here in this other state? 
So yeah. I, I think it's a natural progression that's going to take place. I'm, yeah. I'm excited for it. Totally agree. And you're, you're not paying them benefits, you know, or if you're finding for whatever reason, maybe you're starting to get a lot of calls after five o'clock because people are getting off work and, you know, that's when they get around to calling and, and talking to you, but no one's there to answer your call because it's after hours. You know, you can easily have someone for five to six or whatever time, you know, whatever time works for you answer those calls. And so you're still intaking clients after hours and you're basically growing your business without even working. You know, you're paying someone by the minute mm-hmm. to take those calls. You come in the next day, you have five more consultations scheduled. Yeah, it's all about taking those costs from being large fixed costs and really overhead to being to being variable and mm-hmm. only only scaling uh, as I as I need them. So yeah. it it is really important. And I, and I just think overall um, you know, just the use of technology, Brad as you said, you know, the work from home and COVID really really sparked that for for all of us uh, and has really driven us to look at new ways to to have technology. And I, I think that, uh, you know, looking new ways to operate your business through outsourcing or technology is, is very, very important to the future health, uh, you know, to, to take law firms to the next level. Yeah. So we talked about a lot today. Um, there's obviously lots of ways that you can seek efficiencies in your firm. There's so many areas. There's really every area within your firm you can find efficiencies there. So what do you think is, what's the easiest to tackle? If you really, you know, you take that self, self-assessment and you realize, hey, there's there's places where I can seek efficiencies in, in my day-to-day at the firm. Where do you really start? Is there is there one answer? Is it based on, you know, your needs, your firm type? Or are there some easy baby steps that you can do to start making a difference? Well, I think there's an easy baby steps for for any firm, right? Mm-hmm. It, it just may be, you know, we're all better at different things. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think it, it does vary by the firm, which thing they ought to tackle first. Like I said, we're, we're not all the same, but you know, it, it really does come down to just some basic fundamentals. And, you know, I talked about earlier, you know, the, the fee agreement. So really just have a strong practice it really starts with capturing your billing and ethical billing, mm-hmm. right? And using that technology to, to be sure that you're not underbilling and costing yourself money or yeah. overbilling and causing yourself an ethical issue. Yeah. I think that is a very, very good fundamental thing for everyone to, to every law firm to, to, to look at yeah. first. It's a big one, but it's an easy one. All right, Tom, thanks for joining us again today. Tons yes. of fun as usual. Yes, thank great you. Great having you. Would you like to come back sometime? You know, I would love to return. Okay. That would be great. You guys got that? Producers got you penciled in. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening again today, and we will catch you next time on The Lex Factor. Thanks for tuning in to The Lex Factor. Lexicon takes care of business so you can take care of law. Learn how to build a better practice at lexiconservices.com.